This is O Ship, the show where experts and leaders look back at their biggest moments of failure just so you can avoid making them. And there is no one better to squeeze the naked truth out of our charismatic guests than your host, Chameleon Collective Founding Partner, Freddie Laker. Hey everyone, and welcome to another week of O Ship. This week, we've got a very interesting gentleman on called Will Henschel. Now, Will is a serial entrepreneur. Uh, he is the founder and CEO of a company called Focus at Will Labs, uh, which I actually just recently became a user of. He recently became a co-owner and CEO of Metal, uh, which is a great group uh, out of LA that I've been familiar with for quite some time. He has been the chairman and CEO of a company called Rocket Labs, which he sold to Avid. So he's had a a great exit under his belt, but he's also known as one of the key people in London Beat. In fact, the founder of that great pop band, uh, London Beat, where he was the main songwriter. You likely know them from songs like I've Been Thinking About You, uh, which once you hear, you can't unhear as it kind of uh, echoes in your head for the rest of the day. So Will's a really, really interesting guy, and he spent his entire career living at the intersection of business and music. And we thought this would be a really interesting territory for today's show, not only because I think uh, it's an area of passion for, for many people that watch our ship, but frankly, uh, leads to plenty of opportunities for O ship moments. And with that, here we go. Will, welcome to O'Ship. Fantastic. I love it. That reminds me of a British TV show called Blue Peter. <laughs> nice. Good, 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 solid pop culture reference. I have a sneaking suspicion we'll have a lot of those today. Uh, on a very fun note, and I didn't put this in the intro, Will and I actually met at Burning Man in 2003. This was when I was still, uh, you know, mucking around in the music scene and, and uh, DJing every day for our camp and all over Burning Man. Uh, I, I had great hair back then. Will still has great hair. Well, uh, so I'm you. very jealous. <laughs> so, but today, um, you know, I'd love to go back in time a bit and, and really start by maybe hearing a little bit about, you know, how your whole career started. I think you've got a really interesting origin story. And then, and then we can jump into all these interesting places you've been exploring over the last number of years. Yeah, most people know me from. I had a, a career in the 90s. I was the founder of this band. I'll play you a little burst of it if you like, Freddie. Looking rather cool, Will. Looking rather cool, I have to, I have to admit. <laughs> yeah, that was me in the 90s. I like to tell people I was young and needed the money. I like the blonde. I like the blonde too. You pull it off. Yeah. So as a musician as a, and as a songwriter, and I'm still very actively involved in professional music production and composition, when people say, what do you do? I'm like, well, I do three things. That's what my life has been based. I'm an entrepreneur. Because being in a band and being in the music business, as you know, is actually all about being an entrepreneur. If you're a band signed to a major label like London Bee was, we were signed to MCA and RCA uh, records outside of the USA. It's a little bit like getting funded by a VC in a startup. 
So you get your advance and then you have to, you know, uh, the, 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 the label support you just like a, 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 a company would, uh, if you're a startup, right? It's the same thing. It's funny. I've never really thought about it the way, but it's a, it's yeah. Simple. And then yeah. take a piece of the equity in the music business back in the day, they, they own their masters from now on. So they own the equity, right? They give you a piece of that. So I'm an entrepreneur and I'm a writer and I'm really interested in, you know, I've, I've never, I've never really had a job, a J O B. Right. And, uh, I think you and I have that in common that we're not traditionally employable. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> if you were to say, uh, Freddie, uh, could you apply for this job? You'd be like, what? Yeah, yeah. I, get, I get a lot of that. Like, I, I think our, our backgrounds can be a little, a little confusing. For people. I also don't, uh, I don't suffer fools very well, and I really don't like working for other people. It's just not something I'm very good at. No, no. You mentioned the Metal Men's Group, which is the, the sort of my most recent uh, – uh, business venture. I'm the CEO and Ken Rakowski's partner. This is a, a a men's group that is based in Los Angeles, and it stands for it's an acronym: Media, Entertainment, Technology, the Arts, and Leadership. I know that you've you you know Ken, and you've been yeah. to the meetings over the years. And the one thing that we all have in common is there's like you know six hundred and fifty guys in this group. One thing we all have in common is that we're all kind of unemployable traditionally. It's that thing. Well. If someone was to say to you, Freddie, listen, I'm, I don't want to give you a job, but I'm going to, listen, here's 5 million and you've got to run a division. There's an opt-in earn out, right? You, you're responsible for your own P&L, go. That might be interesting. Depends sure. on the terms, right? You know, how, how, go, going back to like the very beginning here for a second. So you, you got your start in, in London, obviously. Yeah. Uh, how did you even end up? going stateside because i think you're in L you're in la now but i i think that was not your only stop along the way <laughs> yeah 35 years ago uh in 1983 i was working in london in the music business i was doing a lot of trash for cash i was uh, a record producer audio engineer session guy in the early 80s working in, in smaller uh, studios and just just beginning to get a break and I worked with a British band called King and had my first hit as a producer, engineer producer. It was called Won't You Hold My Hand Now? And it was, it was a big hit in the UK. Yeah. And on the back of that, I was like, I always wanted to go to New York. So I uh, got a 99-pound one-way ticket on Laker Air. <laughs> Love it. Love it. So I'm sure I'm sure your listeners and viewers know about yeah. that part of your yeah, story. Little, little history. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So I went on this cheap old airline, uh, which was uh, Freddie's dad's airline, right? Yep. And went to New York, didn't know anybody, but I knew someone that knew someone in Island Records. And I literally knocked on the door and said, hey, I'm really close friends of this person who I didn't really know. And mm -hmm. she said that I need to talk to this person. And they said, oh, this person, she's not here this week, but why don't you come in? Because if you know her, you'll love all these people. So it was like two people bullshit to walk. Anyway, I walked in the door of Island Records in New York and got on great. And they liked me. And that was like, 
pure bravado on my side because, as I said, I didn't know anyone. Finally, I did meet this woman, Holly, who I was meant to have known, who was a friend of someone who I was meant to have known. And she said, are you the person that said that you knew me now that you're famous? I'm like, well, <laughs> thank you. Unreal. <laughs> yeah, it's just the gift. That It's the gift of the of the pure blag, right? You're just doing whatever you can to make it happen. And I was a super hustler, which is part of the joy about being an entrepreneur is that it's all about the hustle. All jokes aside, I, you know, I, I've said in, in, in many cases that on my career, I, I credit back to being involved in this pirate radio station called The Womb. And, you know, bluntly, I tell people that, uh, you know, I wasn't a very, frankly, this would have been 1996 when I, when I first started DJing, I wasn't a very good DJ, but I was a great blagger and I managed to blag my way onto, uh, and this, for the American guests, this means a uh, complete bullshit artist. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, basically black, blag my way onto, uh, this pirate radio station called the womb and I, you know, mediocre DJ at best, but that got me my slot. I think I had a 2 PM on a Thursday or something. I thought, you know, I was 18 years old. I thought it was the coolest thing that ever happened to me, but sometimes in the very beginning of your careers, you know, you, you have to try and find a way to break in and yeah. then have the hustle to back up your own, your own BS and, and just make it, make it happen. James Brown, uh, back in the seventies had a record that was very influential, just conceptually. I was a huge fan of R and B and, uh, and a lot of black American music. And he had a record that as a teenager, I loved, and it, it said, uh, I don't want no one to give me nothing, open up the door and I'll get it myself. <laughs> well said. I love that. I don't want no one to give me nothing. Open the door and I'll get it myself. Ow! I love it. <laughs> that is the key to it, really. Here, you just want to be given the opportunity, and then once you got the opportunity, you got to prove your own worth. Absolutely. So in my case, being a complete like brand new engineer producer in New York City in 1983, I got a job. Someone recommended me from Ireland to another label in New York. And they said, uh, oh, I love your record, that King record. It's not going to be released here because it's not right for the American market, and blah, blah, blah. But they said, come and do a, a produce a demo. So I went to this other label and they introduced me to some young band up in, I don't know, Connecticut somewhere. And I went to the studio to record them and their bass player never showed up. So they were like, oh man, we got to cancel the session. I'm like, well, I can play bass, you know, because that's what I've, I've done for years. So I sat in with the band and I was behind the desk producing and engineering and playing bass. And they were like, man, you sound so English. I'm like, <laughs> in the UK, I'd just been working with bands like the Ruts, like you know, King, new, new Wave 80s stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So where I was coming from. Now I can tell you part of the reason I sound so English is that Billy Idol, White Wedding, you know, the sound of that. Mum, mum, yeah. mum, 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 mum. Yeah. What I'm doing is I'm playing eighth notes bass parts, pushing hard to get the uh, the feel. And the the thing that I found was that the American players, the other session players in New York, in my peer group, they'd all learned the instrument. Yeah. So they had lots of technique, but no spirit. You can play all this flashy stuff, but where's where are you coming from? Whereas I didn't have much ability, but I had this vibe and bodacious amount of balls to just be like, come on. <laughs> and that's to cut a long story short. And here I am 35 years later doing the same. Okay. Thing. You're like, and boom, that's it. That pretty much summarizes my whole entrepreneurial career. <laughs> <laughs> Freddie, you, you are English ish like me. 
Right. Yeah. Well, you, you know, I've, I've, uh, I was, I came here, you know, a bit younger than you did. So, uh, I, do you get accused of the faux Madonna accent all the time? Like, I, I, people are like, is that a real accent? I'm like, no, I didn't even know what my accent is. It's some kind of weird mid Atlantic accent. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's never been a disadvantage, but what you do, I can hear this in your, uh, in your voice as it is mine, is you end up speaking American. American English with the words and the phraseology, but with a British accent, with a British right. accent. And if you ever dug into this, the what it is is that the American uh, accent, the American language, is at the back of the voice, at the back of the throat, right? So it's the schwa, it's America, as opposed to the British, which is America, all at the front of the mouth. And so. What we end up doing when you've lived here a long time is you end up speaking with your own accent at the back of the mouth, and then you sound like Jeremy Irons. <laughs> I I never put that much analysis into it, so now, now I know. Uh, I thought it was just a big, big mucky accent that I've got. So, uh -huh. so, so I'm intrigued. So you you you've now arrived on American shores. You've kind of started to break through with a label. This is this is pre London Beats. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it was nineteen. How, how did how did that even come together? Between 83 and 87, I was based in New York. Mm -hmm. And because I had this kind of English new wave background, uh, I was able to get jobs that I was really not qualified to get from, you know, from my background or from my, you know, my experience. Uh, but because of the just just where I came from, culture, I was like, I really hope none of these people go to England because there's loads of kids like me who can do what I can do. But I was in New York and I was in the right place at the right time. So I got, a, you know, close to four years of experience of the US uh, music business. And I was involved in a lot of very early dance music. So I was an early user of Notator and Creator, which were the eMagic Logic apps. Mm -hmm. And then there was a, a PS2 version. There was there was some very early uh, sequencer software, and I had a really good handle on it because I kind of got a computery background from my folks. And my I'm wearing. I'm using my Moog mug today in your honor. On a side note, <laughs> for instance. So what happened is in 1987, I was working back in England for a couple of weeks, and um, it's kind of there's a sort of a short version of a very long story. Met yeah. Dave Stewart from Eurythmics and said to him, I got some half-finished songs and I'd ended up working with a bunch of bands that were doing their second albums. And a lot of the times, uh, artists who have years to produce and create your first hit album, then you've got to do your second album in six months while you're on the road. And so there's the second album syndrome, right? People are probably heard of that. So I was complaining to Dave. I'm like, listen, I'm working with all of these artists who've had these big hits, but their second, the stuff I'm working on is dreadful. And he said, well, what, why do, why do you do something? And I said, well, I've got some half-written songs and I've been working with these guys, you know, these singers, the, these three uh, soul singers. And I played it to him and he was like, wow, this is great. And to cut a long story short, he was very instrumental and helpful to me getting, uh, London beat going. And actually, before I'd met him, I'd met his manager, uh, which was uh, Sandra Turnbull, which is a UK management uh, company. And they'd already agreed to manage us. And so it all just kind of fell into place. But Dave Stewart, Dave and Annie. Uh, and then in London beat, we did a whole bunch of things with Eurythmics uh, the, um, in, in the sort of the late 80s. Yeah. Did some shows and things. And what, what were they like to work with out of interest? Love the really professional. 
Yeah. Really, really professional. Annie is a perfectionist, and that is brutal to work with, but taught me a great deal about when you when when you've got that level of talent, there are certain things that have to be right. Like if you're in the band, you cannot ever miss a cue, miss a stage cue, or miss a note. You've got to be hundred percent every night throwing the F down. Yeah. And serious, uh, serious appreciation for, for craft. And for any of the uh less uh obsessed music nerds out there talking about Annie Lennox, uh just to be uh just to be clear. So yeah, amazing. Yeah. yeah. She was uh, uh she was fantastic. And she also was extremely uh, instrumental. This is before uh London Beat had any success. And uh Dave and Annie were very helpful and very supportive. The three singers, London Beat was me. I'm the the sort of the major writer and the multi-instrumentalist in the band. And then there's the three soul vocalists and these guys were nearly 20 years older than i am so i learned a lot about growing up i learned a lot about being a white guy right i learned a lot about white privilege mm-hmm. uh, with them for nine years and these these men we, were, we, the only, we the only white guy in the band yep yeah and they're still out there touring and stuff mm-hmm. from what i can I can tell that's great it's still they're still doing shows and um you know that <laughs> They're in the I, I was looking at some videos earlier of them, you know, still touring, and uh-huh. I didn't realize that they were 20 years older than you. And I thought to myself, damn, Will looks great. I mean, these guys look 20 years older than him. I mean, he's just really, really doing good. And, uh, you know, so, okay, so they are actually uh, 20 years older than you. So now, now I know for reference, but I thought, really- I don't know what's in the water out there in the lane, but Will looks fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, no, they, they were twenty years older than me. So <laughs> you should have but, told me that. I would have. Been, I would have gone to my grave going, oh, man, that, that is a handsome, young, vibrant guy. Man, impressive." But uh, it was a uh, you know a dream come true. Uh, we had five big hits. The best known one is the one that I played you earlier. I've been thinking about you, but there are the four others that you would know if you heard them. Better yeah, love. I, I went back listened to before the show. Some great great yeah. tunes in there. Yeah, yeah, and as an artist, I was able to achieve something which is very rare. First of all, you know, writing a couple of number one records here in the states that that's a really big deal. That doesn't happen. That's very difficult to do. But the legacy of that means that. Something that just came out of my heart, my spirit, my fingers is now part of the the global zeitgeist for that period. So in 91 and 2, and th- between sort of 91 and 94, we were on the radio, one of the most played bands in the world on the radio. Mm-hmm. I was the BMI PRS Writer of the Year. The four of us were the, the BMI, BMI PRS Writer of the Year in 1991. That means that that's the biggest gong you can get as a writer. Mm-hmm. And if you go to Home Depot anywhere in the US today, there's a really good chance that you'll hear. You're going to hear it, yeah. <laughs> someone there really likes London Beat. And if you listen to kind of pretty much any 90s station, of course, we're going to yeah. be played. So what's happened is part of my heart and soul is now connected to the zeitgeist of the 90s. And it's an honor and a privilege and the most beautiful thing. It's it's part of, big part of my legacy, you know. So your core though, what I think is really interesting is that you're, you're a writer and you're clearly very passionate about multiple instruments, the technology behind the instruments. And you've used that to segue into a really, really interesting business. I'm worth, you know, worth noting, I signed up for Focus at Will about three or four days ago. You know, I'll, I'll do my best to give it, you know, kind of a pitch. Uh, but I think, you know, it's, it's effectively a, a private music service subscription 
with uh, music that you have designed alongside of like neurologists and psychologists and groups like that to find music that helps you get to a place that you're able to focus more effectively. And I think in a world where, you know, there's overstimuli or people like me uh, who are frankly, you know, doing multitasking way too much, that when I need to get into the zone, sometimes I need some help to tune out the world around me and focus at will appears to be designed at that. And I will be honest in saying I was a little skeptical of this. And that's why I wanted to sign up for it. But I, I, I feel it. I, I found that I've, I, I kind of go into a trance when I'm working. I find it very effective when I'm checking my emails and so I'm not eight, you know, going ADD and checking 18,000 things like I normally do. So I, I'm impressed. Uh, I'd, lo- I'd love to hear about how that, how that business got started because that really is the crux of this episode about you know, the technology, the business, the music, all culminating together for you. And what looks like a very successful business, I believe I just saw you've got over 2 million subscribers for it, which is amazing. So congratulations from one entrepreneur to another. Yeah, I wish they were all paying me the full rate, but anyway, (laughs) (laughs) you got to do the dirty discount sometimes, right? So the short answer of your question is that after I was in the band London Beat, um, because I come from a family of inventors, the Brits are very good at inventing things. My dad's an inventor. My brother's an inventor. My dad worked on sort of colored glass recycling. My grandfather was an inventor. I come from that kind of lineage about, that's a terrible door handle. There's a better one. I'm going to make one. Yeah, my dad was always about better mousetraps. So 1995, when I quit London Beat, uh, I was really interested in new digital recording and how we were still shipping tapes and discs around when he wanted to work with in another studio. So I spent nine years uh, with three other founders creating something called Rocket Network. And Rocket Network was a system that allows audio collaboration over TCP IP. And eventually, uh, we raised just under $50 million. Paul Allen was our main uh, investor, Cisco. We went through the whole, moved the company to San Francisco, which is when I moved to California in 95 or 6. And I learned a lot about running a high-tech company. I learned that running a development team is very like being in a band with a bunch of drummers. (laughs) It's very similar. I'll leave it at that, shall we? Although a lot of people with three letter acronyms are my favorite people. I got to say ADD, OCD, BBC, NPR, LCD. Right? Worth noting, by the way, we uh, at Chameleon Collective are one of the developers. So one of our programmers was the drummer in the Bee Gees. So he was, both, was a drummer and uh, yeah, <laughs> and, and, and a programmer. So I got to double dipped on him. My <laughs> point entirely. No further questions, Your Honor. <laughs> So Rocket Network became this technology that uh, we sold it to Avid in 2003. And if anybody uses Pro Tools or any of the Avid equipment, our core technology is still built into something called Avid Cloud Collaboration. And I, I have, uh, you know, yeah, I've had a bunch of hits as a writer, but I'm really proud of the five patents that my name are on from that period. Actually, four from that period and one later on to me, technically. So that was my background, which was collaboration, music, TCP, IP, audio, over the network, and being a creative writer. And that led me to Focus at Will, which I started 10 years ago. And we got initially funded by Singularity University. That's their name, and a couple of private uh, family offices. 
And the system walks you through a, a quiz, which is what's your style? I'm just going to do this very quickly. I'm thorough, outgoing, and trusting. Okay. What do I listen to when I flow? I Electronic and lo-fi. And then what's my stimulant? I drink a shit ton of coffee. How am I? I'm 50 and over, unfortunately. And let's see what it recommends. It comes up with the deep, the drop, tranquility, or nature beat. So I shall uh, go with nature beat. And this is what it sounds like. So all of the music on the system is specifically designed for focus enhancement. And it always sounds a little weird when it's starting off. Actually, let me, um, let me uh, skip through this one and I'll play you another one here. There you go. So this is a channel called Nature Beat, which is a channel which is designed and only of specifically focus enhancement. And it's only available here on uh, the Vox at Will system. It's the most successful uh, channel on the system by a factor of three. And uh, if you listen carefully, if I shut up for a minute, you'll hear birds. And the question is, why are there birds? The answer is that when you're listening to music, part of your brain, your non-conscious mind, is trying to, th to figure out why it should ignore the stimulus. So you know that thing when you tune out something? It's called habituating. Like if you and I go to a someone's house and there's a very loud you know, freeway nearby, after a while, you don't even hear it because you've tuned it out. And a key part of why focus will work so well is that we have figured out what to do to trick that response to help manage the habituation response. And this channel has nature sounds on it, which have a very um, random organic aspect to them. And so your non-conscious mind pays attention to the channel, which enhances its fo uh, focusing effect. Um, I'll just quickly go to some other channels because um, this yeah, is... Yeah, I, no I noticed that some of them are even like, uh, uh, you know, just ambient noise. It could be like coffee shops, things like that. And oh, yeah. you know, I, I found myself uh, really fascinated behind the science um, of what you show because it's not, it's not, you know, if you just want listening to music, you can go goof around on Spotify. This is, this is more than that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, our most two, two most popular channels are nature beat, the drop and this one, which is a kind of an up-tempo electronica uh, channel. The deep is this channel, which is, um, a lo-fi, uh, chill, hot, chill channel. Yeah. I like, I've been listening to this one a lot. I like it. Yeah. And there's three levels on each one. There's a sort of a, a medium, a low, medium, and a high intensity version. Um, but the things that are really interesting, in my view, are, are for instance, this. About 5% of our users listen to this. This is the ADHD channel. This is strangely enough, my wife would be into this channel. So I guess she's part of that 5%. Shall I turn it off? Yeah. She, she, she like, she's pretty full on. Yeah. It's, there is a link between counterintuitively people who are ADD. I talked about the three letter acronym people, right? There's a, a link between people with uh, ADD and the level of energy you need to listen to, to help you calm and to help you focus. And 
why it's intuitive, counterintuitive is you imagine if you've got a really tweaky friend who is super hyper, you'd be like, here, play some nice, gentle, play some gentle classical music maybe, right? And just calm the F down. Maybe I can find something here that's uh, very similar to that, something gentle and um, maybe something like this would help if you're ADD. The answer is, ah. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. And, and so, uh, and that's, you know, so it sounds like it's a, been, a, been a thriving business. Are you, are you able to, I'm guessing you're able to run that with a pretty tight team though? Yeah, there's only seven of us run it. and Sounds like a dream. <laughs> it's, now talking business, you know, we're a rare unicorn in this that we are an independent music streaming business. We're not part of like Apple Music is part of Apple. Spotify is part of the major labels, right? Um, YouTube, Google. So all of the major music, all of the music streaming services are part of a much bigger organization. And we're a small standalone independent label. We're sort of a hybrid between a label and a music tech business. And in fact, on our app, if I just briefly bring it up again, We've just launched a brand new version of the app, and this is it. And we've just started signing artists to the to the app. I played you Nature Beat. This is a unique channel on this, but this is a very interesting channel called Zen Piano. Zen Piano is produced by a beautiful acoustic pianist whose name is Jason Campbell. This is unique to the service. It's very sparse. And depending on your brain type, this will either help you meditate or work, get you into a flow state. I can see, I can see how that could help me. You kind of get you into your flow state. I, lo- I love it. I, but frankly, I need your voice over there. You have a very, you have a very uh, a well-timed voice. <laughs> nice deep, soothing. I just, I, just, I, I want to be working. And then in, in the background, I just want to hear your voice be like, Freddie, Come keep on. working, mate. Keep on working, Freddie. <laughs> Stop looking at Instagram. Damn it, Freddie. Give me just the whole channel. Just, just you whispering in my ear the whole day would be amazing. We could do a deal. It would be quite expensive though. <laughs> 12 hours of Will Henschel whispering in your ear, telling you're a no good entrepreneur and need to get your shit together. <laughs> you're never going to write five hits like this, Freddie. You better focus, you better, better focus in. <laughs> uh, too funny. Well, so, so I'd, lo- I'd love to ask, Will, you know, you've, you've had a lot of, a lot of great adventures, um, both, you know, it sounds like on, on, in pop music, in, in business, you know, it wouldn't be oh ship if I didn't ask you if you've had some kind of oh ship moments along the way. What can you share with us? Maybe whether it could be a funny moment, could be something you really learned from, that great lesson learned. But I'd, lo- I'd love to hear about any kind of, you know, kind of oh ship things that maybe help define you. There's one big one that happened three years ago, Freddie, and that is I had an out of the blue, completely unexpected widowmaker heart attack. Holy hell, I did not know that. Yeah, I had 100% occlusion in the LAD, which is when you hear of someone dropping dead of a heart attack, this is what happens to them. I am blessed that I was at home with my now wife, but then girlfriend, and she knew how to do CPR. And uh, my heart stopped. I flatlined for 20 minutes, so it wasn't a near-death experience. 
actually a death experience. I woke up in the uh, ICU in Santa Monica eight days later. Going, what the what the hell happened? And um, it was a life changing experience. My dad's in his late eighties. He's Irish, still wanting to fight people when he's drinking Jamesons. I mean, I had no idea that I was at risk, right? But it turns out that I was at risk. I I had high cholesterol. I wasn't exercising properly. I was eating too much fatty food. I was under a stressful situation, and mm-hmm. and I had fatty deposits in my blood that I hadn't really looked after, and so. Uh, it was a huge wake-up call. Well, we're glad you're still here, mate. That's that's scary as hell. Uh, and what it did was it really had me focus on what do I want to do in the next sort of 20, hopefully 30 or 40 years in my legacy here. And the, the, the answer is uh, I want to make a difference. This is why I took on the opportunity with Ken Rakowski running the Metal Men's Group is – I want to help by creating a community of heart-centered entrepreneurs. There's both the Metal Men's Group and then there's a bigger group, which is open to all entrepreneurs of all genders and backgrounds. But particularly the Men's Group, because we men are very influenced by peer group pressure. And if you're part of a large and vibrant community, which is heart-centered, which is friends first, we don't talk about politics or religion. It's a nonpartisan space. Good idea. Right? We, I've, I've, I've got brothers I've known for ten years who are, I know extremely well, and I have no idea what their religion is or what their, what their politics are. It doesn't matter. We have a lot more in common than we do not, and so we are better men in our families, in our friends group, and in our work when we're in regular contact with other heart-centered men. And the community is building. It's Metal Dot International. If anybody listening to this is interested, and but business doesn't have to be brutal. What I mean by that is, you know, people say you don't get to be a billionaire by being a nice guy. Well, maybe. But when when you run business with a heart-centered and a friends-first approach, you realize that inclusivity and diversity and all of these kind of political buzzwords, it, it actually is better business. Mm. It is better business. And you'll be happier and people will be happier to do business with you, which gives you a sustainable and growable business. If you lead with that, that is why I run, you know, Ken and I run the group and we, we're interested in fostering brotherhood, uh, it, as I said, in a nonpartisan uh, space. Is uh, discussing favorite bands also off the table or is it just religion and uh, politics? Yeah, we have a couple of things that we don't talk about. We don't talk about Ford versus Chevy. Uh, that's a, smart, smart. <laughs> that's a thing. We we don't do that, but it's Chevy. I mean, got, if anybody's interested, it's a '73 Chevelle, Chevy. the most bitching muscle car in the world. Mind you, a Ford GT. Anyway, I can't sleep with both sides. Uh, as far as as far as bands go, well, yeah, we can. T- Who's your favorite band at the moment? What are you listening to? Oh man, that's a great question. Uh, I would say Future Islands is probably my favorite band of the last uh, last four or five years. That I'm like really properly obsessed with. If I is anyone I could go see live right now, would be Future Islands. Yeah, have you check. Have you checked them out? If not, yes, I'll. Uh, I, you I, heard a, I heard something the other night on on yeah. uh, KCRW, which is our local. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Fink is one of my favorite artists for the last ten years. F I N K. If you have not heard his stuff. I'm going to have to dig into that after the show. Very, very beautiful, intriguing, very unique sounding artist. Fink, F-I-N-K. 
you know, I'm a big fan. Am I, I don't know, can I be a fan of my own stuff? Uh, yeah, Nature, of course you can. has been the most fun project because it's like, uh, it's like a, a sort of a drive through the last 40 years of my personal influences. Mm-hmm. And so what I've been able to do is go into the studio and think, Hmm, I think this is going to be Pink Floyd, Giorgio Moroder, um, cowboy guitar, uh, something else and dub go. And that's where the nature beat is just like this crazy hybrid of kind of things that has a groove and helps you when you're working. And as I said to you, uh, earlier, I don't know if this was before we started or not, but if you look at the actual number of streams per hour, nature beat is up there with some of the, you know, the, the, the billboard top 10 streams. Are you, uh, are you allowed to share those, those kind of numbers? Are you comfortable no. sharing those kind of numbers? No, not yet. Okay. Until, yeah. I want to, I want you to whisper the number to me after the show. I won't tell anyone. <laughs> we could, if we signed an NDA and that you're willing to give me a, an equity share in your business. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll negotiate after the, after the meeting then. <laughs> so, well, this, this was such a, such an interesting chat. Uh, I think I, I, what I'd, I'd love to kind of end on, on, you know, one, one final question for you. So you shared some most ship moments, a very deep personal one a moment ago, which again, we're, we're really glad you, you made it through that. And it seems like it had a really big impact on, on your life and how you look at how you want to spend the rest of your life, which I think is, is a good idea. Uh, I always like a little bit of, uh, of of gossip, though. Is there any oh shit moments you can talk about from your uh, your pop star uh, days of uh, uh, you know rock and roll gone wrong uh, <laughs> that's out there? Well, London Beat started in 1987. Yeah, it was the 80s, and I was sober, so I was you know tired when it got late, and yeah. people around me uh, who were doing cocaine not necessarily the guys in the band but just like people from the labels and that you know it was all about cocaine drugs and you know envelopes of anything anything else you could stick in your body oh my goodness it was bonkers time and i just personally firsthand saw it go on you know and i would always be like listen it's 11 30 i've been up since five we're here in who knows where you know some place doing a promotional tour or doing a gig somewhere and everybody's like doing lines of blow the size of john belushi's you know the grammar line and stuff i'm like oh my god i gotta go and uh, run away run away yeah yeah i just knew that it's such a rare and a unique and a special opportunity to be at the front riding that way for as long as you can. And the other great musicians who I met on out on the road were also sober. You you know, Daryl Hall, I worked with him a few yeah. times. And Amazing. I just saw him live in concert. Incredible. Rock, literally a rock star. Yeah, and incredible. The, the people who survived do not party like that because you can't. You just can't survive. And so you just see people dropping like flies over the years. Um, somebody told me about Bowie. They said is a miracle he lived to the age he did, considering the amount of nonsense he got up to in the in the sort of the seventies, eighties, and nineties. You heard it here first, kids. Don't do drugs. Uh, is the big message from from Oship this week. But all, all jokes aside, um, that is, uh, I think it's it is sound advice to live to. You. I'm, you know, I'm half cracking jokes, but the reality is. You know, it's hard, in my opinion, to really become truly successful, whatever your craft may be, whether you're an entrepreneur, you're a musician or whatever, if you're not in your A-game. And mucking around with all this stuff may, may be uh, you know, uh, fun, depending on you know, how you look at the world. But 
you know, if you really want to be an A-grade player and, and you want to be at the top of your game and you want to be at the top of your game for a long time, um, you yeah. can't be mucking around with this stuff. Or you're going to have a lot of uh, uh, not very funny oh shit moments, uh, in my opinion. <laughs> so with that, I think that's a, a great place to wrap for the day. Uh, well, it's so good to see your face again. Uh, again, let's not, let's, uh, not let it be uh, uh, 15 years again this time. And uh, uh, you, you know, you're, doing, you're doing great. So you're taking your health great, or seriously, I should say. Uh, your business is is fantastic. I look forward to remaining a subscriber at Focus at Will, and you know, and just keep doing all the wonderful things you're doing. And and, make, and seems like very in a very focused way, no pun intended, uh, making a, an impact on on other people's lives through through metal. So, any anything else you want to add uh, for any of our listeners that are watching the show either live or, or a post show? Yeah, I'll just share this and say. She was my one temptation. She was my one temptation. I'll tell you something, Freddie, about this song. Um, it's called I've Been Thinking About You. But if you listen to the lyrics, it's actually about two girls. I did not know that. Yeah, listen to the words and know, okay, is that written about one girl or two girls? It's, is that a song about a threesome, Freddie? I will have to dig back in on that one. I'm, I'm going to well, be Googling the lyrics of this right after the call. Mm. I've been thinking about you. the advantage of the British language, the English language, I call it the British language. The English language is that you is not like tu a vous en français, right? It's just you. Well, I'll be thinking about that then at the end of this show. <laughs> so thank you again for tuning in to O'Ship. Uh, we love that we get an opportunity to talk to really great people like Will every week. Uh, if you want to support the show, the best thing you can do is you know, give us a like, give us a share, comment, tell your friends. It's not something we do for money. We just do this because we're passionate about it. And your support allows us to keep doing this show um, every single week, uh, weekend and week out. So uh, thank you again for watching. And we'll see you next week on O'Ship. The O-Ship Show is brought to you by Chameleon Collective, where we lead, scale, and adapt to build and grow great companies. You can learn more at chameleoncollective.com. Freddie will see you next time, when we will once again be raising the sales for the O-Ship Show.